Hey, we're continuing um, our sermon series this week. We've been talking about real stuff. We've been looking at parables and the teachings of Jesus. And I want to ask you as we kind of get into this one today, it's in Luke chapter 10. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, Luke chapter 10. Um, we're going to be starting around verse 25. But before we get into that, I want to um, ask you, have you ever felt like somebody was trying to trick you? Um, the answer is probably yes. You know, you feel like people are trying to trick you. They're trying to catch you up in your words. Jesus had that continually, right? He had all these things, all these situations. And the two things that pop into my mind, I'm sure I could think up some personal stories, but, I, you know, I might get in trouble for telling on somebody or something like that. So I thought of two movies that automatically come to mind. One is a movie that we were supposed to have watched together on Friday night, but boom, rain, storms, all that kind of stuff messed it up, right? We were supposed to watch the Princess Bride. And there's a scene in uh, The Princess Bride when I believe uh, the little short guy, his name's Wallace Shawn, I think it's Fezzik in the movie maybe? Mm -hmm. I, yeah, that's right. Um, he uh, challenges uh, Wesley, or who he thinks is the Dread Pirate Roberts, to this battle of wits because that's really all he supposedly has. And I love uh, Wallace Shawn because he's got this incredible uh, lisp, I guess you call it, and it's just it's awesome. It's, it's perfect. And so he's in that scene, and he's challenging them. He's got this uh, eye cane powder that he pours into their drinks, and he does the little switcheroo, and he tries to trick Wesley. And in the long run, Wesley has built up an immunity to eye cane powder, so it doesn't matter, so he just drinks either one. But it's just a hilarious scene. And, you know, it's just it, it ends uh, with Wallace Shawn just laughing hysterically, this cackle. <laughs> like that and it's just, just kicking over and it's the greatest thing ever um i love it because he supposedly got this battle of wits going on he's trying to trick wesley and mess him up and then another one is another classic movie um that some of you may have seen it's sort of like one of those cult classics it is monty python and the holy grail you might one of my favorite scenes it's kind of played on a couple of different times in the movie is where they're, they're on their quest and just so you know I, this is spoiler alert it's a hilarious movie to me, but a lot of people, the first time they watch it, are so bummed. And actually, usually, you try to trick people into watching it with you for the first time, just so you can see they're like, what in the world's going on? But then, after you watch it, you usually end up liking it. So anyway, that's just a little, I'm going to share that with you. But there's a couple of scenes when they come on their quest, and they come to this bridge, and there's this crazy-looking little old guy with long hair and this crazy face, and uh, he's like, what is your quest? And he asks this question, and he's got all these riddles he asks. And uh, it could be randomly, it could be, what is your favorite color? And then there's even one guy who's kind of a, he's kind of adult. And so he doesn't even know his favorite color. And he's like, green, no, 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 no. Anyway, when you get the question wrong, you go like ejected over into the abyss, into the smoky abyss. And, um, you know, and then finally, the, the famous question that most people, if you've seen this movie, know is he gets to one guy. It's like, what is the velocity of a lame swallow? And he says, African or European? And the guy who's asking questions doesn't know it, so he gets ejected. So anyway, it's awesome. But many times you've had people do that with you. They've tried to play mind games. And for those of you that have never seen this, you're like, this is the dumbest thing. It is, but it's great. But you've had people in your life who have tried to trap you in your words. I mean, for real. Um, we love to do it. People love to do it on Facebook. You know, that's, you know, Facebook is argument book, whatever you want to call it. And people do it in real life, and they try to trap you. And that's what's going on here in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And I'm going to uh, read part of this, and we're going to read a little bit and stop and kind of talk about what we've read. But Luke chapter 10, verse 25, says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Now, he's in, in his mind, he's planning on testing Jesus, right? He's going to see what he can get him to say, whether it be good or bad. He's going to put him up. Are you really who you say you are? And then sometimes there are places in the Gospels when they were outright, outright trying to trap him. you know. And I don't know if this guy was trying to trap him, but he's at least wanting to see, are you as much of an expert on the law as I am? This is what this guy's thinking, because he's described that way, an expert in the law. And so one of the things, before we move on, I do want to talk about that for just a second. Have you ever thought about the fact that if you're breathing right now, you're probably at some point in your life have tried to test God? You know, let's be honest. Let's be real. And your first instinct might be to say, no, there's no way I've ever tried to test God. But if you're honest and true with yourself and you really take a 30,000 foot view of your life, you can probably pinpoint some times when you were trying to test God and you were trying to see what's going on. And I believe it's still common, you know, like I said, even in our lives, but in general in this world. And the Bible says clearly that's what the guy's trying to do. He's trying to test him. And I think sometimes it falls into the category of this. If maybe you're having a hard time thinking of a time when maybe you tried to test God, Have you ever caught yourself reading scripture and then saying, but I don't think that's what it means? It says it really clearly. And then maybe even find other scripture that backs up that passage of scripture. But somebody tells you or you can try to tell yourself, but I don't really think that's what it means. Maybe it's a sin you're struggling with and you try to justify it. You try to say, well, you know, that's something it's the context of that time. You know, it's it's a, you know, historical thing. It's not the case anymore. And while, yes, maybe there's some Old Testament things that don't apply pretty much when it's in the New Testament, if the Bible tells us to avoid it, or if the Bible tells us to do it, we should either avoid it or do that thing. And so we can't play this game of testing God. It's like, you know, trying to sort of trick God, catch him in a loophole, if you will, and say, well, you know, I don't really think that's truly what it means. But he asks this question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he wants an answer that fits exactly what's in his mind and his frame of reference. And we do that a lot as well. You know, one thing I want to say before I move on, though, is this. When it comes to if you're sort of trying to test God in what the Bible's trying to tell you, and maybe the Holy Spirit's working on you on, Scripture is its own best commentary. I've said that a little bit recently, but it's so true. Scripture is its own best commentary. Uh, commentaries and other books and helps are not bad. There, there's, there's some good things out there. But when you want to know what God's Word says, the best thing to do is read God's Word. And, you know, use a simple search tool that's not doesn't have a bias at all. You just look up certain words and look up verses that are, apply to that word and compare those verses to the other verses. And you'll usually come to a good understanding. You know, sometimes you might see things that look contradictory, but the more that you study other scripture around it, you're going to say, okay, I understand where that's coming from. And if you don't, ask for help. But ultimately, scripture is where we need to be basing our ideas and our, and our growth and our truth on. All right, let's keep going on. Verse 26. So he's asking this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? So he turns the tables on him. You know, he puts it in his court. Verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. We already sang part of that today, right? You know, we sang those songs. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. And then he tags on and love your neighbor as yourself. And here's what Jesus says in verse 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. 
do this and you will live. So the dude doesn't go flying off the bridge, right? You know, he got the right answer. He got it. He, he nailed it. And that's pretty cool. You know, this guy has got some promise. He's got some potential. Maybe he is an expert in the law like it, it describes him as. But here's the thing. One of the things I want to pause and say real quick is this. This passage is not um, talking about doing good works to earn your salvation. You know, some people might want to misunderstand that or misconstrue that. It's not talking about doing good works. But I, I, I think of it more as seeking first the kingdom of God, like it talks about in Matthew 6.33. Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Because honestly and truly, if you have a glimpse, I'm not even going to say you know fully, but if you have a glimpse of who Jesus is, then man, you're going to seek after him with everything you've got. And I know that there were times in my life, and, and you probably all can relate, is that there were times that I didn't have much passion for God. And it was because I'd lost sight of who he was. You know, maybe I thought of him as a, a genie that had failed me. You know, I had rubbed the magic lamp and I didn't get the wishes I had hoped for. And so I get mad, I get angry, and I misunderstood who he was. You know what I mean? Any number of things can play into that. But we forget who God is, and therefore we don't seek after him. You know, he wants us to seek after him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and that's what it says there. And so we've got to remind ourselves, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek after those things and his righteousness. And the truth is, is the scripture also tells us that those who seek him will find him. If you're really seeking after God and trying to be a part of his kingdom, he's going to reveal these things to you. And you're going to be able to find this truth that's in his word. You're going to meet people who are going to help you move you further along in that path. Look at verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So the guy gets the answer. He's told, yeah, you know, you gave the right answer when he gives the answer to his own question. And, but he wants some clarification. Can you relate to that? For real. You know, it's like, okay, God, um, I, I've used this you know, example uh, many times when we were praying about coming to Plant Movement Church, you know, almost, gosh, when the whole thought process really started, it was four and a half, maybe five years ago, I don't know. Uh, truth, truthfully, it was like 16 or 17 years ago. But when it got really serious, it was several years ago. And so, like, we, we prayed and, like, God opened up this door and we're like, okay, good, but let's try this other thing. And you know, if you know the story of Gideon and the golden fleece, you know, we couldn't afford gold. You know, we had, like, a tinfoil fleece. But, you know, we, we went out and we were like, okay, Lord, if, if you want us to go, then do this. Or if you want us to go, don't do that. And we prayed all these things because we were terrified, you know. And, and we, we get caught up in wanting more clarification when he said, this is what you need to do. But this guy asked for the clarification. What exactly or who exactly is my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, I want you to tell me who is my neighbor. Basically, he's saying this. You tell me who I need to go and love. And I would say, now this is my, this is my guess. I would say he's meaning, tell me the few people that I have to go and love and that I'll be good on. And I'll go love them. You know, hopefully he's thinking maybe five, maybe ten tops that I got to love. I don't know. I don't know exactly where his mindset was. But he's saying, tell me the few people that I have to go love, and I'll go do that. And so the question that maybe he's asking is, what's the limit of how far I must go? If you think about that, have you ever asked that question of God? What's the limit of how far I must go? You know, Jesus, you say, follow me. How far do I really have to go? and still be good. That's the deadly thing that we ask. That's the 
terrible question that traps us sometimes in our spiritual walk and sort of kills us spiritually because we just stop where we are until we get some clarification maybe or we hear an answer we don't want to hear and there's people that we're supposed to go and love that we don't feel comfortable loving. So what is the limit of how far must I go? But instead, I think we should be asking, can I go further? How far can I go? I want to go as far as, as you need me to go. Ultimately, you can ask it like this. Who else needs the gospel? Who else needs the gospel? And the answer is everybody. Everybody who doesn't know Jesus as Lord needs the gospel. And as crazy as that is, as mind-blowing as that is, and as much of a, of a weight as that can feel like, everybody needs to hear the gospel. And so that's the limit that we've got is the ends of the earth. You see, that's the trick is that Jesus has already answered that question. To the ends of the earth. Carry the great commission or carry the, the great commission is carry the gospel to the ends of the earth teaching people, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey everything he's commanded. So we keep going, and the question we need to ask is not how far or who's the few people I need to love, but help me go to everybody. Look at verse 30. In Jesus, in his reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Uh, a lot of us love this story. Even uh, people who don't have any faith oftentimes know this story because it's such a powerful story and it's such a good life lesson. But Jesus teaches this powerful story that oftentimes we call the Good Samaritan. And he tells, you know, he said this guy got beat up by robbers. He's left on the uh, roadside for dead, and this priest comes along. And can you imagine? Stop yourself for just a second. You know, you probably heard this story at least once, if not hundreds of times, depending on what kind of background you've got. Stop yourself and just try to think, let me hear this as a first time here. You're hearing this story, and I love a good story, but these people absolutely love stories. They didn't have Netflix, and they didn't have you know, Instagram uh, TV and all that sort of stuff. They didn't have none of that stuff. So they're listening to the story intently, and they hear it. And depending on who they were, maybe a teacher of the law, he's hearing, okay, a priest is coming. All right, he's going to make this right. You know, or maybe if they were just a regular person, they're like, oh, you know, this dude's going to avoid him. You know, they, you know, just depending on your perspective, they're listening to this story. But imagine, in our minds, we, we should think, okay, this priest, this kind of mediator between God and man, this go-between that helps people worship God, if he's coming along, he should stop and help this guy. And that's exactly the point this tribe Jesus is trying to make. But it says what? He happened to be going on the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. I really want to think that Jesus might have sort of acted this out a little bit, you know, just sort of standing in his place, maybe. I don't know. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, I talked about the, the plank and the speck, and I, I really, it's just a hunch, is that maybe Jesus picked up a, a big piece of wood and maybe a tiny speck, and he acted out sort of like I did when I preached that sermon. But maybe, you know, Jesus is like, you know, he's kind of walking in place, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know exactly how he did it, but he, like, he looks and, you know, he just kind of makes his face, you know. And most of us really try hard to have a poker face, right? We try not to let all of our emotions come out in our facial expressions. Some people fail. You know, we know that's not some of our strengths. But, you know, he's, he's seeing this guy and, you know, we try to act like, okay, let me, let me put it in real time here. You're pulling up on an exit ramp. You got off the highway. We'll say 540 for everybody who lives around here. You get off on 540. You get off on the exit ramp. And as you come up to the stoplight or the stop sign to get onto whatever side street you're getting onto, you look to your left, and there in the median is who? 
maybe a homeless person. And what's your response? A lot of times you're like, oh, let me see what's going on in my car. Oh, i got to get on my phone. You ever fake a phone call? Come on, be honest, tell the truth. Let Jesus love you, right? You fake a phone call, you ever do that? Because you don't want to make eye contact with a person who's asking for help. Now, we all know that a lot of times in our culture, some of those people are not legit, and some of those people are making bank, but some are not. Some are in, 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 in dire need. But the question is, what do you do when you see somebody in need? How do you respond? This priest... This is a real scenario where this guy had been beaten half to death, it says, and he looks by and goes on the other side of the road. He moves as far away as he can. So here's the thing. So a supposed mediator between God and man, he avoided the situation. And it leaves me with this idea. Religion without relationship leaves us empty. Religion without relationship leaves us empty. So this guy knew all the religious rules, but maybe he didn't have a relationship with God, and that left him empty. And so when it came time to live out his faith, he wasn't willing to do it. Um, I've even at times said, you know, religion is a bad thing, but the Bible talks about religion being pure when you take care of widows and orphans. So religion is not necessarily bad by itself, but empty religion is bad by itself. And when you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so if you have religion without relationship, it leaves you empty. Look at verse 32. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So you got this worker for the kingdom, a temple worker is normally what Levites were. They helped out in all the duties of the temple. So another pretty religious guy, right? He served in the temple, and what does he do? He avoids the situation. He moves over, gets out of the way. And, and I want to sort of encapsulate that like this. Simply doing church activities doesn't make you faithful. That's hard to hear. And, and there have been many times in my life, and yeah, I say that a lot, and some of you probably freak out and be like, man, this dude's a preacher. He's supposed to be perfect. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I'm not perfect. And there are so many times in my life when I've caught myself being a person who just does church activities rather than, like we said, have that relationship with God. And when you just do church activities, it does not mean that you're faithful to Christ. It may mean that you're faithful to the, the local church body, the organization that you're a part of, but you can be faithful to a group of people and not be faithful to Jesus. And that's what we've got to understand. And maybe that's what's going on with this Levite. I don't know. For whatever reason, he moves to the other side. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, I've talked about this maybe, I don't know how long ago I preached on this passage, but, and I pointed this out, but I think you've got to point out anytime you teach on this. You know, we all love the, the power of when a butt comes into the conversation, you know, he's like, oh, I'd love to help you out, but, you know, I can't do it. Or, or you know, in a, in a crazy sense, and here's one right here where Jesus is teaching, but a Samaritan, and, you know, the crowd either, like, gasped, or they got quiet, or they started murmuring, and they started picking up rocks, looking for a rock to pick up. Because they automatically know, but the story's changing, right? It's changing course here. And when the, the but is a Samaritan, they're like, okay, all right now, you back up, Jesus. Because we all know that Samaritans are not even fully human. I mean, they're, you know, they called them dogs. You know, they were half-breeds, they would say. They really, truly, Jews hated Samaritans. And, you know, it was pretty much the opposite way around as well. But, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. So what has Jesus done? He's made a Samaritan the what of the story? Hero. hero. He's made him a hero. 
He's made the Samaritan the hero, and the whole crowd is, they're scandalized. I mean, they are absolutely scandalized. And, man, how easy is it? How easy is it for us to put in our ideological enemy in that story in 2020? I'm being real. Probably any of us have somebody or a group of people that we could put into that fill in the blank. And that goes across the board. I don't care what you believe in. But right now, in the chaos that our world is, we could easily put somebody in that we believe is the anti-hero, but Jesus is essentially making the hero of the story. Jesus chose someone, as they thought, less than human to be the hero. And here's what I want us to understand real quickly on that. It's not about your pedigree. It's not about your past. It's not about your present even. It's about the presence of God that makes one worthy. You know, it's the presence of God in someone's life that makes them worthy. None of us are worthy of being used, but God will use us if we just submit ourselves to him. And here God uses this guy that the Jews thought there was no way that he would use somebody like that. And it doesn't matter what your pedigree, your past, it doesn't even matter what situation you're in right now. The grace of God can and will change anybody and everybody and use them to do tremendous, powerful things. Look at verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he went and put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, that's two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So this guy goes above and beyond, beyond the call of duty, and truly just serves this guy. Now, we know this is a story, but Jesus is teaching a powerful lesson. And so, real quick, what I want to do is go over a few things that help us. How do we love our neighbor? Because the problem that I have, and maybe the problem that you struggle with, is you know the truth. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. But when the going gets tough, how do I really do it? When, when 2020 slaps you in the face, how do you love your neighbor? When real life just gets in the way, how do you love your neighbor? The first thing is this. Practice compassion. Practice compassion. Now, I, I chose the words pretty carefully. I didn't just say have compassion. You know, the text here in this particular translation says he had pity on him. Pity and compassion are, are fairly close together. But I didn't just say have compassion, have an emotion. I wanted to see, be like the guy, the Samaritan in the story. I said practice compassion. Don't just simply have a feeling about people. How many times have you been guilty of seeing somebody in a, in a tough situation and be like, oh, that's sad, and then do nothing about it? I mean, probably multiple times a day, if, if I'm being honest, you know, that I've been in that situation. I felt bad feelings. I felt sad. I felt hurt for someone, but I didn't go and do anything or exercise what that, that compassion was leading me to do. It's not simply a feeling. Just like faith in the scripture is always proven and exercised by action in scripture. You know, the Bible speaks very clearly over and over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament that when people believe God, it caused them to act. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, um, and it's funny, uh, uh, Ryan King, when we uh, made our announcement on Facebook in our Facebook group about having to cancel today because it's all wet and muddy, he said, so are you saying you need a priest or a group of priests to go out with the ark and step out in faith 
and stop the flow of the, the water. And that's perfect because that's exactly what faith looks like. You know, if they can say, yeah, I believe God's going to stop the flow of the Jordan River, that's all good. They believe it. But when does it really show that you have faith? What? When you step out. The water didn't stop in that story in the Old Testament. Just simply when they believed it, it was their true biblical faith of stepping out. The moment they stepped out, God's like, Whoop, stop the water, rolled it back. And that's such a, a powerful example of faith. So just like faith requires action, you know, we need to see your faith carried out. We need to see my faith carried out. The same thing with compassion, because ultimately that's what you're doing. You're acting out your faith when you practice compassion. What does your compassion look like? Just don't tell me about your feelings. What does your compassion look like? So what do you do? Take this thing that can get in the way of everybody. And you put it down. That's a good place to start. Take your phone and take it out of your face and start looking around. How much life do we miss nowadays because we're stuck on our phone? You know, that's a good place to start is putting down your phone and looking around. And then I'm going to ask you to do this. Pray. Just sort of make it a running conversation with God. God, help me to see who is in need. Help me to see what I can do. And how I can do it. You know, just make that your prayer as you're walking around. Put your phone down, get it out of your face, and look around and say, God, help me to see who, um, what their need is, and how I can meet it, or how I can help it be met. And just start doing it. And I, I want to tell you, man, that's scary. I mean, at this time in this world, and, you know, once again, pandemic 2020, you know, I mean, people are afraid to be around each other at times. Uh, we've got to get past that fear sometimes. You be smart, be wise. I'm not saying anything against that. But start, still look, right now, man, more than ever, people are stuck behind these and stuck behind walls and are, are so alone. And you might have to help in a different way than you did before all this mess was going on, but you can still help. And you might have to get creative and you might have to be more sacrificial, but that's the next point. The first one is practice compassion. Don't just think it, practice it. But then the second one is this, let it cost you. Let it cost you. Let it cost you your money, maybe, your time, your, your comfort. That's a big one. We care so much about safety and comfort nowadays that it keeps us from doing anything. And so we have to let it cost us our money, our time, our comfort, or you fill in the blank, but it needs to cost you. And I heard a preacher say this years ago, and I've always loved it. He says, if it doesn't cost, it doesn't count. You know, when you're serving and loving other people, if it doesn't cost you something, it really doesn't count because it's not really a sacrifice. And I'm not talking about keeping score or anything like that, but here's what I believe it really means. Token sacrifice doesn't really grow you, and it often doesn't really bless other people. You know, If it doesn't cost you a little something, it's not going to stretch you and help you grow in your faith, and chances are it's not going to do a whole lot for the person that you supposedly helped. So let it cost you. Spend some time. If you, if you are inclined to give money when someone... Oh, excuse me. I didn't just drown. Let me get a sip of water. <laughs> so <clears throat> back to where we were if you're inclined to like just throw a little bit of money at a situation that's good but next time take time as well as your money you know spend time hearing the story behind the person who's in need that maybe you're helping or how can i take my compassion a little bit farther let it cost you and then this is sort of the same thing but i want to emphasize this go the extra mile that's the next thing. So you got practice compassion, not just thoughts. Let it cost you. 
and go the extra mile. Because you see in the story in verse 35, he not only took care of the guy right then, took him to uh, put him on his own donkey and he walked and then took him to the hotel. But he said, I'm coming back. Here's some extra money. So he was going to come back out of his way, perhaps, and do more to help this guy. So go the extra mile. Here's the thing. Just like grace, love looks crazy. Just like the grace of God looks crazy to us and we're so undeserving of it. And that's part of the definition. It love and grace look crazy. Love is not an emotion. I say this all the time and I have to keep pounding in my head and I believe in other people's heads because we feel like love is an emotion and love can come and go. But love is a decision. It's a decision to think and do the best for other people. That's what God has called us to do is to put our love into action and put other people before ourselves. The emotions are a byproduct of those decisions because if you're in a relationship specifically, if you just want to talk about like boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, something you know we can all sort of relate to, the emotions are going to come and go. They're going to ebb and flow. They're going to be strong sometimes. Sometimes they're going to be weak. Sometimes they're going to seem non-existent. But if you make the decision to love one another and sacrifice and do the best for the other person, even if it costs you, I guarantee over time those feelings can come back. And we got to realize that. When we're carrying out love and grace to other people, we need to go the extra mile. And we may look insane, and people are going to think that you're crazy sometimes, but who cares? Who cares? If you look like Jesus, that's all that matters. Maybe, perhaps, we don't see mass revival going on because we don't see mass repentance. You know, a lot of us, you know, that's kind of an old word, revival. But it's that idea of like a spiritual awakening, you know. Maybe we don't see those kind of things too much anymore because we don't see mass repentance by the church. Mm-hmm. You know, of course it takes mass repentance by all kinds of people for there to be a revival. But maybe if the church had mass repentance, then the mass revival would come from people outside the church. So mass repentance, I do believe, comes when the church is willing to surrender themselves to Jesus. When we live lives of of reckless love and outrageous grace. And I'll be really truthful and honest. As I say those words, there's a little bit of fear that creeps up in me. Because when you start talking about loving people with this reckless abandon, like the song that is pretty popular talks about, you know, it doesn't make sense to people who are receiving it or watching it from the outside. And outrageous acts of grace don't make sense. It, it stirs up a little fear because, man, that means I'm going to put myself in a position to, you know, to risk a lot and, and to lose a lot and to hurt a lot. But, man, you get to love a lot. And those kind of things can lead to mass repentance. It leads to mass revival. And I just want to wrap it all up with this. Remember. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. Remember the religious leader, his his answer? You know, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Even he got it. And in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 19, it says, We love because he, that is God, first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. See, John, this apostle of Jesus, 
he writes, he's like, man, don't talk about to me. Don't talk to me about loving God if you don't go and love the person right down the street from you. Don't talk to me about loving God if you have a hard time loving the person that shares the same house with you. Don't talk to me about loving God if you can't love people who look different than you, who act different than you, then think different than you, then vote different than you. Man, if you can't love them, how can you say you love me? And man, if this is something I want to try to trap God in, I want to find a way out, man, this verse might be one of them. But the truth is, is if we claim to love God, then we've got to love other people whom we can see. Verse 36 of our main text here, going back real quick. Sort of closes out, Jesus says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Man, he asked the question. He's not going to tidy it up for them. He's going to make them say it out loud. And the expert in the law in verse 37 replied, The one who had mercy on him. I think it's very important to note he couldn't bring himself to probably say Samaritan. (laughs) But he still gave the right answer. The one who had mercy on him. You see, it doesn't matter about your title. It doesn't matter about, you know, your your history, your family history, your personal history. It doesn't matter about any of that. It just matters if you have mercy on people. That shows that you love Jesus. And then Jesus says in that same verse, then go and do likewise. Go and love people who are different than you, who hurt you, who spit in your face, who don't treat you correctly. Go and love those people. And I want you to think about the context of this question and the subsequent parable that we just went over. This whole question that got it all started. This expert in the law, he knew all the right things. He probably believed all the right things, but it didn't show up in his life or change his life. And the same goes for the story that Jesus told. The priest and the Levite, they knew and believed all the right stuff. Simply believing it doesn't do anything. Does it come out in your action? Do you love other people with actions more than just words and thoughts? So here's the important lesson. Our faithfulness is based on our obedience to the gospel, not simply our beliefs. Don't be someone who just simply acknowledges truth but never lets it in and never lets it change you. We can talk and think and believe about love all we want, but until it comes out in our actions, it's powerless. I'm going to say that again. We can talk and believe and think about love all we want, but until it comes out in our actions, it is powerless. And being a kid who grew up in church, even though I didn't necessarily um, do everything I was supposed to, you know, I'm a perfect example of that. I'm still struck by the quote that I heard from Brennan Manning for all these years, and I didn't know it was Brennan Manning. I thought it was DC Talk. (laughs) It said on one of their albums, had his quote, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Maybe, maybe people who are lost are waiting for you and me to get real. Maybe they need to see some overwhelming, outrageous, reckless, crazy love and grace so that they can know that this truth that we talk about is real and that they'll come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. They'll come to him in faith because they believe he is who we say he is. 
And they'll be led to repent, turn away from their sin and run to Him and say that He is the only Lord. Not them, but He is the only Lord. Confess Him as Lord and meet Him in baptism where He washes away our sins and gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they will be made new. They won't be broken anymore. They won't be hurt. They won't be rejected. And they won't be full of hate and anger and rage anymore. They won't be falling apart and falling to pieces and trying to put over a smooth veneer that fools everybody, but they will be clean and new just like you and I have been and just like you and I have the opportunity to be. So are you living a life that points people to Jesus? Let love lead. There's something going on in your heart. We'd love to talk with you about it. Send us a private message. Reach out to us. But make no mistake. If we say we love... Say we love God, and we gotta love the people around us. And our neighbor is everybody.